Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Let me take it on the face that our listeners do not want to be a bunch of spiritual lightweights, puffed up balloons of hot air blown all over the place with no strong foundation. You don't want to be a lightweight? Our next study is for you. Let me read to you just one verse in Hebrews 13, verse 9. First, we have in verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 9. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. So I want to put your attention to the main point of verse 9. It says, it is good that the heart be established by grace. And you might want to underline that portion of that verse. You might actually want to write it down and make it the motto for your life. Some of your verses will say that it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Just as well. Just as well. I'm going to take it for granted that there's not anyone listening to the message this morning that wants to be a wishy-washy person. You don't want to lose heart when you're tested by the challenges of life. You want to live your life consistently and you want it to be guided by enduring principles. You want to have a backbone to your life that stands up and holds fast in the midst of challenges and difficulties. If you're young, you can't even anticipate the challenges you're going to be facing to a large extent. We know, some of us who have gone on a way, what challenges there are to face. And we know that there's more to come. We want to endure them. We want to overcome them. We want to have a guiding principle that feeds into a strength and resolve and commitment and consistency against the forces of change and decay and the attritional forces of the influence of this world that can undermine our hold on a truthful and faithful life. We don't want to be chameleons who simply change colors with the times and We don't want to be cowards who retreat from our positions the minute we come under fire. We don't want to be hothouse plants either, who somehow can thrive when we're in the greenhouse, when we're under in a controlled environment, but when we're put out into the heat and the cold and the winds and rains of life, we wither. No, we want to thrive in the heat and the cold and the wind and the rain of life, and we don't want to shrivel up. Actually, what we want to have happen is We want in that situation for our roots to go down deeper and our life to become even more stable against these tests. We want to be proven to be strong. Can I take it for granted that this resonates with you? That this is a desire within you? The question is, how is that done? How is it that it's accomplished that we endure not by barely hanging on, but actually in the midst of the challenges of life, we not only endure, but we actually become stronger more consistent, more resolved, more empowered. I'm assuming you want that. There is a fear that comes to the honest and the not self-deluded person that will come to us at various points in our lives, and that is the fear that we might not be what we profess to be, that we'll be proven to be other than what we've claimed to be when we come against a test. 
And so in order to prepare ourselves to meet that test and to prove ourselves to be faithful and to strengthen our heart and to maintain ourselves through the difficulties of life so that we don't just wash out, but that we actually prevail, we oftentimes come up with various strategies in order to make sure that we hold on and make sure that we plow through and that we endure and we prove ourselves worthy of the calling that God has placed upon us. The problem is that Very often, the very strategies that we take up in order to prove ourselves, in order to answer that kind of niggling doubt or that fear, those very strategies, oftentimes, instead of making us strong, make us weak. Oftentimes, what they do is they create pride in our lives, and we become puffed up, and as a result, God doesn't give us success in those strategies. So from our text, I want to explain to you what those strategies are, and I want to explain to you how they don't work. There are two strategies in particular that I see in our text here in this short little verse that we've just read for maintaining a strong faith, an enduring faith that will fail you. In fact, they'll only puff you up. For the follower of Jesus Christ, these two strategies that are most often employed to somehow build up your spiritual muscle are to engage yourself in intellectually lifting heavy doctrines. You know, if you can just kind of immerse yourself in all the great and significant doctrines of your Bible, this will somehow make you really strong in the faith. And the other strategy is to focus on some duty of outward performance that you can become really good at and you can exercise. Unfortunately, usually because you can't, it seems to be overwhelming all that God's asking you, you just focus on a couple and you build yourself up in those two or three or four areas that you focus on. And actually what ends up developing your life is you kind of look like those guys I knew in college. You know, they would go into the weight room, but they'd only work on their upper body. And so they'd walk out with these little pencil legs, you know, and this big bloated top that would blow over in the wind, right? They only caught wind. They didn't plow through it. Anyhow, the first strategy is to anchor yourself in dogmas or doctrines of your faith. And the other strategy is to exercise yourself in disciplines of worship or moral duty and I don't want you to get me wrong here. I think Christian doctrine and dogma is good. And I think moral duty is good. But these by themselves will not make you strong for the test of life. Approached alone, without you being drawn into them by the grace of God, approached alone without you being drawn into them by the grace of God, they'll leave you, as I said, puffed up. 1 Corinthians 8.2 says, Knowledge puffs up. They'll actually leave you, believe it or not, although you think you're strengthening yourself, they'll leave you as spiritual lightweights who can't endure the storm. The Jews that the author of Hebrews is writing to have had to endure a series of trials and sufferings as they've put their faith in Jesus as Messiah. The Jerusalem church was an impoverished church. It was a church that was constantly run over by various tides of persecution that struck it. They endured the difficulties and challenges that came upon the whole nation of Israel because of the force and focus of the Romans trying to put down these rebellious Jews. But these rebellious Jews that were under the persecution or the pressure of Rome also were putting their pressure upon the weak church. And so the church was at the bottom of the rung, you might say, suffering, not for short periods of time, but over a prolonged period of time. They wanted to endure, and they wanted to come out strong, and they wanted to prove that they had faith. And so, what did they do? Well, they began to reassert themselves in the dogmas that they knew. 
the Christian faith and the writings of the Christian faith were not codified yet. The New Testament hadn't been completely formed. They weren't available to all the early Christians in Jerusalem. But what they did have, what these Jewish Christians did have, is they had the clear instructions that God had given the Jewish people in the Old Testament. And they had all the rabbinic traditions that had been passed down to them by their fathers. And looking to shore themselves up against the challenges of life that they were facing... They gave themselves to the intellectual study of Judaism and its practices. Those elements that they thought could and should be brought into their Christian faith and put into practice. Actually, they went so far as to insert, assert the importance of abstaining from certain foods or maybe that they placed emphasis on eating certain foods that had been offered up in the temple and that it was necessary to eat that food in order for them to have the strength that they needed and to partake of the life of Christ in order to live a holy life. And so they were mixing together the rituals of Judaism and the doctrines of Judaism and trying to bring it into their experience and walk with Christ. And by the way, if we've been following with me on our instruction in the book of Hebrews, you're seeing that what the author is saying is that the Lord Jesus has come He has completely fulfilled everything that was anticipated and foreshadowed of truth and of God's salvation in the religion of Judaism. So much has he completely fulfilled it that all these things are but shadows and they're to leave the shadows in order to turn to the reality of Jesus Christ. And in this passage, we're told that these practices that they have been practicing for years, choosing the right food to eat, And what not to eat. And eating from the portions of the sacrifices that are brought into the temple. That these have not provided or profited them in their spiritual walk. And the author refers to these patterns of behavior and these doctrinal or theological ideas that were formed and shaped around Judaism. And now he says Christ has so completely fulfilled everything that was anticipated in Judaism. That these old things are strange things. That they're foreign things. And you're not to be carried about by them anymore. How interesting. These were the things that were, they'd known their whole lives. They'd been taught their whole lives. Paul says Christ has answered the thing that's anticipated so much that now these things, have, these things are old and they're foreign. They're not, even, they're not even to be in your heart. They'll be treated as something that's strange and alien to you. But that's not what's happening. They've gone back to these things and they've exercised themselves in the intellectual analysis of these things and they've tried to discern what were the right behaviors that they should carry out as a result of these things. We don't know exactly what all the moral applications they were making were from these doctrinal considerations, but in part, they had decided that there were certain things that were proper and good to eat, and there were certain things that were not proper and good to eat and important for your spiritual development, and they laid a lot of stress on that. The point here is this. They became very interested in sorting out doctrines and then deeds that they thought would make them strong in their faith, And it didn't work. And they were becoming unstable in their faith. They were being carried about. The idea is someone who's being blown all over the place. Unstable in their place. They were actually, as I said, spiritual lightweights. Blown about by these doctrinal winds. By these ideas of all the performance and things they were supposed to do. Paul actually described the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4.14. The same idea in Ephesians chapter 4.14. There Paul says that the Christian is no longer to be children tossed 
to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. I'm sure that those who were caught up in these theological exercises and in the ideas of what was just the right application of truth in terms of their performance thought that they were actually diving into deeper things, that they were the strong Christians and Paul writes them and says, no, actually, you're like little children. You're not mature. You're not growing. You're little children. I once, I once met a man who had, with his wife and with a group of people, had separated from the churches that they were living with, the church that they were part of in Calgary, Alberta. They all formed eventually a little sect that formed and they went out in the mountains in the hill country of Alberta. Or is it actually, in, they found a piece of land in British Columbia. And they lived there for a period of time until he and his wife came back all disillusioned. But I asked him how it happened. And he, he shared with me, well, they, they had formed a Bible study and they began to get deep into God's word. And the deeper they got in, the more they separated from the church. Then I asked them, well, what were the deep things that you were studying? Well, they were the kinds of clothes that we should wear and the way we ought to dress and the patterns of behavior that we should be forming to demonstrate that we were really committed to Christ. And what was he doing? They're honing these ethical performances. They're making sure they've got it down and distinguishing themselves that they're going to be people that endure and they found themselves instead to be a bunch of lightweights blown all over the place. They came back disillusioned. Thanks for joining us today at The Bread of Life. Our ministry is brought to you by the International Evangelism and Discipleship Ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism. And your support to our radio program and that work is greatly appreciated. To learn more about that work, go to cpeonline.org. And to learn more about our local fellowship here in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.